Well, good morning, beloved. Saints in Christ, children of God. So, we have handouts for the children who are still here today, and so Miss Barbara will be handing those out. And if you fill out that handout and you turn it in either to Miss Barbara or Miss Carolyn, you might get something. I'll tell you, it won't be candy today, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'll give you a hint. Today's talk is going to be about the mind. So if you complete the handout, you might get something that requires your mind to figure out how to solve it. So pay attention. I also want to mention that last week during the chili cook-off, I walked around and looked at all your kids' handouts that you filled out. And I have to say, I was very impressed with the work you did. And uh, there were so many wonderful things you talked about, and you guys are really smart. And I think all of us adults should give you all a hand for a good job you're doing. One of them I remember is what I liked about my body is it takes me places I want to go. Isn't that neat? So, last week we did talk about the body, and we talked about its role to allow us to experience the creation of God, but also to experience the presence of God himself, because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We also talked about the body's cravings, and that we can meet the body's needs, but not the body's greets. We put those in place, in their proper place. We also talked about the body wanting to support us, so it's better to accept and work with the body to let it know what it is you want to do. Today we're going to talk about the mind, and we're going to focus on the mind and, and talk about how that's playing a role in all these relationships here. Many years ago, Beth and I went to a, uh, like a three-day workshop on a weekend at a church we used to go to down in, in Alabama. And uh, the speaker there, he was a Christian psychologist who, began, as he became a Christian, began to see that the Bible is full of all kinds of great psychological help. And it was during that workshop that, that Beth and I's life really turned a corner in terms of understanding how we relate to the Lord, to each other, and to ourselves. So it's become a topic of interest for me ever since. One of the things I've noticed is that in many of the churches we've been to, it really isn't talked about much. Everything seems to be more about spiritual things, which is great, but I always want to be able to translate that information into how I live my life each day. So I'm going to talk about that and continue to talk about the mind today. And I've come to the conclusion that this battle that somebody referenced earlier, maybe it was in Sunday school or during the service, there's this battle going on, and I believe that the battle going on between God and Satan is to make claim on our mind. Because it's the mind that has the ability to reason and think things through, to actually discern truth. And God is so concerned about how we think about things that Jesus volunteered to come here to deal with sin so that God could inhabit our body to influence how we think about things. Now, Satan already had the ability to access our brain because the brain is part of the earth. He has the ability to influence, but not direct. That old Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, is not accurate. He can't make you do anything, but he can certainly make suggestions. So that's what we're going to focus on today, is what's going on in this sort of battlefield of the mind. So before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May you please open the minds and hearts of everyone here that we could receive and discern truth. And would you please look past the sins of the speaker, for they are many. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. So we're going to start with this word soul. Soul has a lot of different meanings depending on how it's used. We see this word psyche in scripture. It actually means breath or wind. And we know Adam was created by the breath of God. Then we have this word mind in scriptures. also seems to refer to a few concepts. So this Greek word nous has to do with the, the ability of the mind which we think of as the intellect. So it also includes the idea of being able to gather information, make judgments about things. Um, it, the mind also possesses emotions. It, the, all the emotions we have that are in the mind actually are experienced in the body. Something to think about for a moment. We don't really experience emotions in our head. We experience them in our body. That, that's why I think it would be better for us to say, sometimes when we use the word mental health problems, it's actually better to say emotional health problems, not mental health problems. I have those kind of problems, being able to think through things sometimes. But emotions are a different thing that we're going to be talking about next week. So the mind, uh, is, in a narrow sense, is the, uh, that part of us given by God to reason things out, and therefore often considered by many as the higher power of the soul. For our purposes in this series, I'm going to use the concept or definition that the soul is also another trinity within us, and I think of it as the will, thoughts, and emotions. And we're going to use this model in a way to take a look at how these things are relating to each other or maybe not relating to each other so well. So the idea is that information is coming in from one or two places. It's either coming in from the spirit or it comes in from the body through the brain. Now, information that comes in from the spirit is something we call truth. Information coming in from the body of the brain is something that may or may not be true. And because Satan has access to the brain, he spent a lot of time, especially when we were young, packing that with a bunch of misinformation or disinformation. So I tend to anthropomorphize the thoughts and emotions, so I call them thinker and feeler. And thinker and feeler looks like these two people watching the screen presented by the body. And they're trying to make decisions about what they want to tell Will to do. If you saw this movie Inside Out, very similar, right? We have these emotions looking at the screen all the time. And even though all the emotions are there, who seems to make all the decisions? Joy does, okay? Not that joy right there, but this joy here. Right? <laughs> so... <clears throat> I love this movie in, in many ways because a lot of the stuff that was going on with all those memories relates a lot to the kind of work I do and in helping people. The one concern I had about the movie was that we, don't, we only have emotions there. We don't have thinker represented. So it sort of implies little girls are only influenced by their emotions, which I don't think is true at all. I think they can reason through things. The other thing that's sort of missing there is will. But setting that aside, I, I really enjoy this movie. I think the more accurate depiction, of course, would be the bridge of Star Trek. Okay? Because everything's there that we need. We have Will sitting right in the center. Not that Will, but Captain Picard is Will, and he makes all the decisions, but who's he listening to? Well, he listens to Deanna Troy, who's an empath, who's the emotional part, and then Riker, who's the thinker part. And they, they're all watching the screen, but they make recommendations to the captain. Okay? Now, as an aside... This Diana Troy character is this empath, and I always get amused so many times when they're watching the screen and this other alien beings over there, I'm going to kill you! And then she says, Captain, I detect hostility on their part. I'm like, 
how did she pick up on that? That was amazing. Oh, she's an empath. That's right. Of course, he politely said, thank you very much, right? But they're trying to influence Captain to say, make it so. And very similar to what we're going through is we have thinker and feeler watching information and making choices. So last week we talked about walking after the flesh versus after the spirit. These are things that we're doing on a daily basis. And in fact, one point many years ago, it dawned on me that if I wanted to simplify Christianity, Christianity is a daily act from moment to moment making choices. That's all we're really doing is we're making decisions or choices. And the quality of those choices depend upon who we're listening to here. Who gets the vote in terms of how we're going to proceed forward. So in this model, what we do not see here is the spirit trying to influence the body or vice versa. Now the Holy Spirit can definitely heal the body. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that the two are both after the soul. And that's where this battle is going on. And so even though, even when the Spirit heals the body, it seems to take faith to do that, doesn't it? And guess where faith resides? Faith resides in the soul. Remember when, when Jesus was in that crowd and he said, I felt power go out from me? Who touched the hem of my cloak? And they said, we were, you know, so many people. And it was this woman who touched the hem of his cloak. And he turns around to her and he says something interesting. He does not say, I healed you, does he? What does he say? Your faith has made you well. I think that's something important to remember as we play a role in this whole process of what's going on here. So, something I didn't talk about before was uh, with regard to the body is there's another purpose of the body as well, a role the body plays. We can also think of the body as a feedback mechanism. Every thought that you have is processed as an instruction to the body. Now, when we get pretty stressed out about things, the body will let us know through its feedback system. So one of the first systems that gets de-resourced when there's stress, when we have to go into fight or flight, is the digestive system. That's why when you start to get stressed out, what happens to your appetite? It goes away. If the stress stays there, then it can turn into irritable bowel syndrome or constipation. It's just a feedback mechanism that something's wrong. I think it's interesting that it's irritated or irritable bowel. I'm irritated about something. So that's why it's important to pay attention to the body that I feel some stress. My body is trying to tell me something is wrong. Does it know what's wrong? No. It just senses something's not right here, and I need to start panicking and take care of myself. So the mind and the body are in this interesting relationship. So I just wanted to guide you through an interesting little exercise. I think you might find it fun. You don't have to do it, but I'd just like you to, to amuse me for a moment. Is, um, I wanted to have you close your eyes for a moment. Just take in a breath and relax. And I want you to use the power of your imagination. And I want you to imagine you're in your own kitchen. And you're looking around and you can see all the things there. There's appliances, maybe there's the stove and there's the sink and the counter. There's the refrigerator. I want you to walk over to the refrigerator and I want you to open it up. And as you open it up, you can feel the shape of that handle on your fingers. And as you open it up, you hear that sound it makes when it releases the seal. And then you feel cold air rushing onto your hands. I want you to look in there and see all the things that are inside that refrigerator. Maybe there's some milk, and 
mayonnaise or whatever you see that's in your refrigerator. And I want you to look down where there's drawers at the bottom might be, where there's fruit or vegetables. I want you to reach down and open the drawer there where there might be fruit. And as you do so, I want you to notice the shape and the feel, the coolness of that handle of that drawer. And as you slide it open, hear the sound that it makes as it scrapes along the sides. And I want you to look in. I want you to see there happens to be a big, bright, yellow lemon in there. I want you to reach in and take that lemon out and then close the drawer, hear the sound it makes, close the refrigerator door, hearing the sound it makes. And I want you to notice how cool and smooth the skin of that lemon feels to you. And I want you to take it over to a cutting block, and I want you to be very careful when you get out a sharp knife. I want you to cut that lemon in half, noticing some of the juice comes out as you do so. I want you to set one half aside and very carefully cut the remaining half into two quarters. Set the knife aside. I want you to pick up that one, one of those quarters of that lemon, and I want you to bring it up to your face, and then you can start to smell the fragrance of the lemon. And you see the juice coming down the side, and it's getting closer and closer to your mouth. And as it, as it does, open your mouth and put that lemon wedge right in your mouth and bite into it and suck the juice right out of it. Now you can open your eyes. So, Patty, what's going on in your body right now? Because <laughs> I saw you go, mm. how many people are tasting that lemon? A lot of you, I saw you. Mm. You created a physiological response in your body with thought. That's how powerful you are. There are no lemons in this room. That tells us something else about the mind, but especially the subconscious part. It cannot differentiate between fantasy and reality. So just the process of imagining things causes you to experience something. What does that tell us about worrying? I think that's one of the reasons why God is so concerned about what we think about and how we think about it, because it affects us physically as well. I love that passage in Isaiah, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah. It starts out in the first uh, chapter of the second verse. Hear me, you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. You know, just that phrase in itself is powerful. We're talking about power this morning in, in, in Sunday school. Everybody has to listen up. Listen earth means the bodies need to listen as well. And then God makes his case against his children. And it doesn't look too good because they have turned away from him just like their father Adam had done. And yet they'll complain about stuff and wonder why God doesn't take care of them. But then in verse 18, we hear this beautiful verse. He says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Other translations use phrases like, Come now, let's talk about this. Or come now, let's argue this out. Or another one says, come and let's settle this once and for all. God wants to reason through things. I find it interesting that Christianity is so often uh, labeled by, by atheists as this sort of blind faith. And if you become a Christian, you have to dump your brain. You've all heard that kind of thing, right? The irony there is, of all the faiths there are, Christianity stands up the best to the line of reasoning if people just take the time to do that. So, God is concerned about how we think about things. His concern, his goal, is that we should have the mind of Christ. We find this in, a, in several places, like in Romans and Corinthians. So in Romans 15.5, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And in 1 Corinthians 2, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we talk about the soul getting saved. Once we're saved, then there's this process of sanctification that occurs in the mind. Most of you are familiar with Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Now, many, many times I've worked with people, and I often ask about this, but I don't finish it. I'll say, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your... And most people will say spirit. Because it's a spiritual thing. Christianity is all spiritual. Well, it is, but spiritual for the purpose of being mental, by being, being able to reason through things. So, what do we do then? Well, fortunately, because we have a will... What we do is we set our mind. A week or two ago, uh, Julie summed up the book of Philippians in such a wonderful way. She says, I think this whole book is about your mindset. How are you going to set your mind about things? So that's what we do. We set our minds by choosing. So we see in, in Mark, go we see in Mark 8.33, I think we studied a few weeks ago or months ago. I'm not sure where we're at in Mark. We're somewhere, though, I'm sure. Um, remember, Jesus was talking about his coming suffering and death and resurrection. And remember what Peter did? He pulled him aside, and G- Peter rebukes Jesus. Okay, And then what's Jesus do? He turns around and rebukes Peter in front of all the disciples. Now, there's a lot of people I, I wouldn't like to be rebuked by, but Jesus is definitely one I don't want to be rebuked by. And what does he say to Peter when he rebukes him? He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So I think we see a clue here about how Satan works. Jesus is not calling Peter Satan, but rather he's demonstrating how Satan works. Jesus knows Satan has made a suggestion to Peter. Watching the screen, he's made a suggestion to stop talking about his impending death and resurrection. Satan, through Peter, even invokes God. That's what Satan will do. He says, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. So Jesus points out that Peter is listening to the wrong person. He's listening to the enemy because he has man's interests at, uh, at heart. In fact, I would say that Peter probably had Peter's interests at heart because he didn't want this to happen to the Lord, probably more for himself. But I'm, I guess I'm judging Peter, so I shouldn't do that. So we read in Colossians 3.2, Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. So you might ask, okay, so what does that mean? Well, if we go to Philippians, we read, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We clearly decide what we think about, what we dwell on, what we ruminate on. In other places in Scripture, we see the word consider, or we also see the word count. 
We see this in many different places, having slightly different meanings. We can look in Romans 6, and it says, in the same way, count yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin. Think this way, you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And again, perhaps in my favorite verse in James 1, verses 2 and 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it pure joy. Think about it this way. Have this attitude in mind. When you encounter what appear to be problems, consider it pure joy. Rejoice in that. Now, I wanted to do a quick survey to, to get your, your thoughts to see how many people are going to stand with me on this statement right here. So who, who agrees that's true with me? I'm the only one that feels this way? We put the punctuation in. You've seen this before. Woman, without her, man is nothing. Now, who agrees now? Yeah, okay, come on. <laughs> See, it all starts with perception, doesn't it? When we first read it, we sort of added our own punctuation. But now it has a different feel of how we perceive things. So this brings me to another model that I presented here some years ago. Many people responded well to it. So I thought, oh, will you visit it? And some updates and some other things on this model. This model I call perception, belief, thought, emotion, behavior. It all starts with perception. Now, perception is an activity of gathering information, looking at it, and ultimately making some kind of decision about this information or this situation. For our purposes here, we're just making a simple decision. Is what's happening good or is it bad? Is it safe or is, is, it, is it unsafe? We decide that. Again, this is for teaching purposes. Nothing that's happening to you is intrinsically good or bad. We decide whether it's good or bad. Now, if that upsets you and after the service you want to challenge me and tell me about some situation and you want to say that's intrinsically evil, I will agree with you. But I'm not talking about those kind of extreme things. I'm talking about the day-to-day kind of stuff that we encounter, that we perceive it to be either good or bad. That's our decision. And once that perception forms, some interesting things happen. Some of you have probably been through this process uh, when, when siblings grow up and they become adults, they sometimes reminisce about things. And maybe one of them says, remember that time we all went to the circus all together? Man, that was like the best day of my life. Wasn't that great? And then one of the other siblings says, are you kidding me? That was the worst experience of my life. I was scared the whole time. There's clowns and all kinds of stuff. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm trying to forget that. Same people, same event, Opposite perceptions of what happened. So was the circus intrinsically evil or was it intrinsically good? It's neutral. It's just a circus. Unless, of course, there are clowns there, then we know it's evil. But other than that... <laughs> oh, I like clowns. So once a perception is formed, the system creates something called a belief about that. Beliefs are very interesting and they're very powerful, aren't they? All our beliefs sit in our subconscious mind, which we'll talk about a little bit more next week. We can have two beliefs sitting in our subconscious mind that are 180 degrees opposed to each other. But the way the beliefs work is I sort of see them sitting in the waiting room, waiting for their turn to be called up. 
And you can have belief A and B sitting right next to each other, but they don't interact. But their beliefs are completely opposed to each other. And oftentimes when I'm explaining this, I do a lot of work with helping people become non-smokers. And they'll say, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe smoking is bad for you or good for you? Right away they'll always say it's bad for me. In fact, you wonder how bad smoking is? Ask a smoker. They know better than anybody how terrible it is. I say, so you believe it's terrible for you? And they'll go, yeah. Then I say, do you smoke? And when I say that, I'm asking the other belief system to step forward. And then they realize, actually, I believe it's good for me. So there's interesting contradiction, right? We don't normally have this awareness that we have contradictory belief systems. If you have the good fortune to have children, children will observe this because they're so clever. And they will point out to us, won't they? But you said before, well, no, oh yeah, I did say that. Well, then we, that was a different situation. Of course, the kids are, come on. <laughs> I caught you in another one of your contradictions. That's why children are a blessing and... Other times, uh, they show us stuff we probably don't want to see. Remember when the kids were young, sometimes they would do stuff, and I would ask Beth, why, why do they do that? And she would say, well, honey, you do that. I'd say, well, make them stop. <laughs> She'd say, well, you stop. Well, I'm the dad. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. No, that's not how it works. So these beliefs are operating. And actually, because we're not really aware of all our beliefs, one exercise in a moment, but if I were to ask you to tell me all your beliefs, you would struggle doing it. But if, you, if I ask you about a specific thing, then you would be able to tell me your belief about that, about certain things. And when you do that, you won't actually be explaining your belief to me. You'll actually be explaining how the belief is structured. So all beliefs get structured as a thought. So thoughts have that ability to, to communicate what's really happening. And thoughts are important. In fact, they're so important, sometimes people will pay you a penny for one of your thoughts. That's how valuable they can be. So thoughts help us rationalize about a belief system. They have that characteristic of reasonability, or they have the sense of explainability, maybe even defendable. Thoughts also have this characteristic of logic or objectivity, and therefore thoughts have a sense of truth. At least, <laughs> you like laugh, right? a sense of truth, at least to the thought holder. <laughs> because no one in their right mind would hold a thought that they also knew to be false. Nobody does that. Of course, we all have thoughts that may be false, but we don't intentionally hold them there. So, those thoughts, and that sense of logic and a sense of truth, tends to create a sense of comfort about what we're going to do. So a sense of comfort means that the thought creates emotion. So all emotions are generated by thoughts. It makes us okay for, to, for us to do this or to do that. It's this feeling, this sense of this. Even those people who are very analytical, data-driven type people, when they finally pronounce something, they pronounce this is how it is because they feel comfortable with the data analysis that they've done. So thoughts are always driving emotions, and emotions, they drive something else. And here's the clue. We take a look at that word emotion and take the first letter off. What do we have? Behavior. That's how I spell it anyway. Okay. <laughs> we have behavior. So, all behavior is generated by emotion, 
Again, even though somebody asserts I'm doing the right or correct thing, it's the emotional feeling about it that lets me do this. So, guess how long it takes to get from perception... Oh, I didn't put the behavior, didn't get up there. Guess how long it takes to get from perception to behavior? Very fast. Andrew just went just like that, right? It can happen very, very quickly. Something else that's important about this model, the arrows only go that way. They don't go the other way. That might help you understand how many of you ever tried to do a New Year's resolution? And it's always about some new behavior, right? How long does it last? A day or three or maybe two or three weeks, something like that. The reason for that is you're trying a new behavior, but the arrow doesn't go that way. So all this behind it is saying, what about this new behavior? No, no, this isn't right. Wrong. No, that's not going to last. I'll let you go for a while. But we're going to go right back to what I've been doing all this time because that's what I feel good about or I feel comfortable about. So... We can look at this model a couple different ways. The first way I want to look at this, and I was going to do this, I'll just encourage you to think about, think about Joseph being sold into slavery. Think about Job and all he went through. This model plays out if you use this model to study those, those passages. But I want to use the parable of the talents. Remember that about the rich man who was going out of town and he gave the first slave five bags of gold and the second slave got two bags of gold and the third slave got one bag of gold? And then he left and he came back and he asked for an accounting. And we see the first and second slave formed a perception about their master, that they watched him make smart trades and they thought that was a good thing. So their belief is, he's a clever guy. I'm thinking he must think I can do what he does. So I feel trusted and therefore confident. So my behavior is I went out and made smart trades with his gold. The third guy has a different perception. He gets the one bag of gold, and he says, I watched him reap where he did not sow, and that seems wrong to me. And so the belief is, he's a hard man. And so my thought is, I wouldn't do what he does, because that's wrong. So I was afraid, so I went out and hid the gold and got no return. Even the master said, you could have just put it in a certificate of deposit, dude, and you would have got something back. But his fear, based on his perception, caused him to do nothing. Last week, we talked about the rejection-based flesh person. Same model works here. That rejection-based flesh person, I'm no good, I'm a reject. I'm worthless, that's my belief. I can't do what God does. I feel like a loser. I'll just keep asking for forgiveness and apologize for living. Or we had the performance-based flesh person. God has very high standards. <clears throat> I have to be good to get God's love. I better get my act together. How many of you ever had that thought, I better get my act together, right? <laughs> We've all had that. I feel like I'm not good enough. I'll just keep up the charade. But now we have another line we didn't have in the past, which is the maturing Christian in Christ. My perception of God and me God loves me, and he redeemed me. I have infinite worth to God. I have power, love, and a sound mind. I feel alive. I feel free. I think I'll go love and serve others. Same model, however people want to use that. Now, something else about this model is once we have a pre-existing belief about something, that pre-existing belief will attempt to influence our perception about similar things. And that's what the psychologists call unconscious bias. 
and then that can feed back on itself because then that perception reinforces that belief that already existed. It helps explain things like racism. When somebody forms a perception and a belief about people of a certain race, when they meet somebody from that, that race, what do they immediately think? They hate that person. Why? Well, look at the color of their skin or listen to their, their accent or whatever that might be. I know something's wrong here. Sometimes people will say, I know something's going to go wrong. I know it's bad. Say, so how do you know that? I just know. To which I say, then what are the lottery numbers going to be this week? Because you know. No, it's not that you know, it's you believe because you form the perception about something. Now, on, in certain areas of our life, something else interesting can happen here. Maybe not interesting, but not good. And that is because of this feedback loop that goes on here, this keeps going on, it can very, form a very powerful hold on us, a very strong hold on us. That's the bad news. The good news is that 2 Corinthians tells us that the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, but on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We all probably have some strongholds in our life. So one of the things I noticed a while back is that as I look at different denominations, and I'm I'm not church bashing, I'm just understanding. Some churches I've been to, the focus is all on behavior. There's sort of a legalistic bent about things, and that's the teaching. And, And that's fine. Other churches are more about how we feel. Some of the liberal type denominations, we all need to feel good and feel happy and so on, and that's cool. And Other churches, very important, what our theology is. We all have to agree on the same theology. But what's First uh, Corinthians tell us, that even though I spoke, speak with the tongue of men and angels, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. So they work in those three areas over there. Not all, but I've noticed some tend to do that. What I think is going on is God is working here in our lives. He is trying to influence our perception about him, about ourselves, and about others. That's why if we have certain strongholds in our life, God will put us in certain very challenging situations in order to break that stronghold so we stop depending on that previous incorrect belief and perception and start to trust him for everything we do. And so the more we do that, the good news is that once you know the truth, it's the truth that sets you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because the goal is not peace. The goal is not happiness. The goal is freedom. Once you have freedom, you will tend to have peace and happiness. Amen? So, as we wrap this up, I want you to think about any stronghold you have in your life. Where is it you feel constantly defeated? that it comes up and you just have to give in to it every time. Take a moment to think about that for yourself. You're not going to have to share it. And I'm going to show you a very simple technique we can use based on Scripture, using the power of your mind that created a lemon in your mouth. And we're going to walk through this together with using some, some generic things, and then we'll do something a bit more personal. So first off, I want this all to repeat out loud. You can have your eyes open or closed. It doesn't matter. Repeat after me. This is scriptural. Ready? 
Here's the first one. Say out loud. I am dead to pride. I am dead to greed. I am dead to lust. I am dead to envy. It's a hard one. I am dead to overeating. I am dead to wrath. I am dead to laziness. Because you really are. Those are the seven sins that the Bible talks about. We're dead to all that stuff. But now I want you to make it personal and think about that sin you keep committing you can't seem to get loose of. And would you like to be free from it? I hope you do. So we're going to take a moment to bring this in into your awareness, into your mind. So, for example, maybe you struggle with worrying too much or anxiety or doubt. Maybe that's what it is for you. But this time I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just bring that sin up right in front of the Lord in your mind. In your mind, I want you to say, I am dead to, and then name that sin in your mind. I am dead to for yourself. You can open your eyes. Look, some strongholds are not going to come down right away, are they? Some of them take repeated attacks to break those strongholds down. So use this technique every time you're confronted with whatever that sin is that plagues you so much. If you struggle with being cynical, then every time you start to feel cynical, you just say in your mind, I am dead to cynicism. That's not a part of me. And then what you do is move on, and you think about whatever else you want to think about, like, oh, maybe you could think about whatever is right and lovely and pure and holy and admirable. You choose what to think about. And doing so over time, God will gradually transform your mind so that you will have new perceptions, new attitudes, and clearer thinking you will have more of the mind of Christ. And you will be free. I don't guarantee that. God's word guarantees that because that's where the power is at. Amen? Prayer, I'm going to pray as though I'm, well, I am praying, but I want you to make this for yourself. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Creator of all things, Master of time and space, the Ancient of days, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of creation, the one who is all-powerful. The blessed Redeemer who is wisdom. You alone are holy. You are more than loving. You are love. You are the only one to be feared, and yet you are patient and kind and generous with your children. I am your child. You designed me in your mind before time began. You designed my body and you designed my mind. Thank you. Because of you, I have the ability to think and analyze. I praise you and your greatness to design the brain. Some of your very most talented children have been trying to figure out the brain for years and how it still works and Still to this day, with all the technology we possess, our study of the brain still reveals your secrets. I stand in all of you. Thank you for my mind. Thank you for what you've done so far in clearing my thoughts and freeing me from incorrect thinking about you, about myself. 
I confess I still need transformation, and of course you already know this. I choose to exercise my will, the will you gave me, to allow you to continue this holy work of transformation within me. I, do, I agree to work with you in exercising my right to choose what you want to, me to dwell on, to think about. While I have the ability to think and analyze, sometimes I overthink, I overanalyze. And with some strange hope that I can figure things out on my own, leaning on my own understanding. Please forgive me and heal me of my self-dependence. I apologize. And I ask for your forgiveness for using the gift of reasoning as a way to avoid dependence on you. Please free me. I am forever yours, and you are forever mine. And this is a fact on which I choose to dwell and base my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.